Hello and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna, I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vanderjesus. Welcome! Welcome to the back half of Season 3. We're here to talk about She's Better Now, the premiere episode of 3B, which has Mona sneaking into Hannah's bedroom, the appearance of Grandma Marin and Wayne Fields in the same episode, and the emergence of shady-ass Byron Montgomery as a possible suspect in Allison's disappearance. All this and cow brains in a locker. <laughs> yes, uh, this is the episode, an episode where the liars are asking straightforward questions and giving everyone zero answers themselves. So it's a pretty entertaining time. It is. And there's a lot of watchfulness in this episode. There are so many instances of like people sort of uh, sneakily spying on other people, which is an interesting thread that's going to pick up as the season goes on. I also feel like this episode really has a lot of like straight female gaze in it. Um, there's a lot of like needlessly shirtless dudes sulking <laughs> around this episode. That is true. We should have like an alert that we sound in this episode for needlessly shirtless <laughs> men because there are quite a few. Yes, it's true. It's true. Should we dive right in? Uh, yeah, so we open with an establishing shot of the barn at night. Then we cut to a skateboarder moving through the empty streets of Rosewood. Then. Then we have a most wonderful scene where in Hannah's bedroom, somebody is hovering over her. Who is it? It's Mona. She asks Hannah if this is a bad time. Hannah is uh, startled and a bit annoyed, but does not seem scared to see Mona here. Mona reveals that her doctors released her and her parents are forcing her to go back to school. And she's so scared. Um, this feels like every move that Allison ever pulled on Emily, by the way. Um, it's it, Yeah, it's, it is, I think, very telling that Hannah is just kind of like, Mona, what are you doing here? Not, you know, Mona, I'm reaching for my, my pink furry lamp to smash you over the head with. Um, and Mona says that everybody knows what she's done and she has nobody in her corner. Mona isn't expecting forgiveness from the other liars, but Hannah is different. Ren said that she was Mona's guardian angel. Hannah insists that, uh, that Mona, that, that Mona isn't going to get forgiveness, but Mona asks if Hannah believes that a person can get better. She says that she's on new meds and she's changed and she asks Hannah to see who she is now. This scene plays so much like two characters who have broken up. It is like not even funny. Um, Hannah says that Mona is freaking her out. And then we hear Grandma Marin knocking outside. Uh, Hannah covers for Mona and Mona mouths, thank you, and keeps moving, moving physically closer to Hannah. And it really feels like they're going to kiss here. And also what happens after we cut away? Inspiring oh. minds want to know. I, I have that very same note, like, because, uh, you know, Mona's saying she's not proud of who she is, but she wants Hannah to see her for who she is now. And as she's about to lean in for a kiss, we can only assume Grandma Marin pounds on the door and interrupts them. Uh, but yeah, 
Hannah is like totally, she doesn't scream, for example, when Mona is suddenly in her bedroom. And not just in her bedroom, but like, she is so close. It looks like she's about to start nuzzling Hannah's neck. Yeah, it's very, it's almost like Carmilla-esque, the way that, the way that she goes about this. It is. It is. It seems like Mona maybe has a history of showing up in Hannah's bedroom in the middle of the night. Yes, it certainly does seem that way. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So, I mean, before they maybe start having sex, we cut back to the skateboarder who now seems to be fleeing an SUV that is menacing him. The SUV nearly gets in an accident with another vehicle. And then runs skateboarder Lucas off the road. Although I think what actually happens is that Lucas tries to skip the curb to get away from the SUV, but goes flying instead. Uh, Then we see the driver of the SUV is a hooded Tobey. (laughs) Oh, yes. He is so, so, so scary there with his hood on he looks goofy in the in the a hoodie i just have to say like it doesn't look it doesn't look right on him well and this is uh of all the different like ways that the a team menaces people i feel like this is not a particularly strong one (laughs) like driving in your giant car after skateboarding lucas Uh, I'm not sure, like, what the actual point or the actual menace of this is. Uh, A seems like, I I don't really like the A tag at the end of this episode either. Uh, A seems sort of like, I I don't know, maybe this is like Tobey's week to be in charge of things. And he's just not, he's just not doing a very good job. He is not. So Emily gets a text that Mona is back um, and just then her dad arrives to tell her that they're having a new alarm system installed. It's controlled by his phone, so nothing can go wrong. Um, Wayne says that it'll be on 24-7 and also that Garrett's mother has called. She is planning to go after the Rosewood PD for not um, setting up adequate protection for Garrett that allowed him to get killed. Uh, Wayne seems to be in support of this, but Emily still seems to think that Garrett might have killed Allison. Uh, Wayne doesn't want to let Emily go out on this um, for this like marathon run that she helped organize um, seemingly for the swim team to raise money. Um, But Paige, I guess, is welcome to come over. Wayne feels such an ally, but Emily is not enjoying this, uh, you know, protective parent shtick. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, like more protective than usual measures in place for the liars this week. Uh, but I'm going to say that this new alarm system must be an upgrade from the faulty one that required Emily to be a team property manager back when they had the tenants living in the field house in season two. That is a good point. That is a good point. Yeah, this is this is. um yeah, Wayne Wayne Fields is Wayne Fields is is here to dad, here to be a dad. He's home and and wanting to wanting to step up here. But unlike a lot of the other guys in this episode, he keeps his shirt on at all times. So, you know, like a demerit for the paternalistic attitude, but a plus for remaining fully clothed. Well, so what do you think about his his stance here because I you know, I think that 
the these parents being very protective makes a lot of sense given what their daughters have gone through but it seems like it's like he's going about this in a very sort of almost militaristic way like he's like this is this is how it's going to be and this is and he's not really doing much work at this point in the episode to actually see like how emily how emily is doing and and to kind of question why is emily so resistant to seemingly feeling safer like what's going on there yeah i definitely agree i think that it's a reaction like emily is not being as open with him she's not being as communicative with him Mm -hmm. and so in response to that he feels like if he doesn't know what the danger is he's just gonna like try to make a fortress to keep her safe uh which is not you know it's not the best idea but i can see from his perspective how it seems understandable Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Uh, Spencer and Aria are at the brew. They are talking about Mona being back. Aria, who is wearing like three different patterns here, including a leopard print skirt, a white jacket with black, uh, with black vertical stripes, and the top that might be part of the dress with the leopard print is kind of like yellow and white and orange it has sort of like a tie dyed with ink splatters on it kind of look uh but she opines that if mona sneaks into her bedroom after dark she's sleeping with a crowbar under her pillow uh spencer thinks mona gave them lots of insight into who killed maya so they might want to befriend her aria disagrees she is a mess in this scene and she also gives kind of a Trumpian defense of Mona not being involved with NAT in that if Mona was too weird looking for the Nat guys to want to peep on, why would they want to hang out with her in their actual club? Uh, not, not great reasoning there, Aria. Then she also becomes irate when Spencer probes as to whether or not she's asked her dad anything about the night that Allison disappeared. Arya and her dad are finally getting along, and she is not going to mess that up with a little murder accusation, okay? Side note, what is happening to the windows of the brew in this scene? Why are they filthy? (laughs) Is Emily in charge of cleaning them and just keeps visiting with her friends on the clock instead of doing her job? Possibly. Yeah, Arya's, Arya's family is such a trigger point for her. Um, and it's, it's really interesting later, she's going to kind of, um, make a reference connecting Prezra and her dad. And I really do feel like that same kind of, um, that same kind of like, like way kind of sort of that same kind of protectiveness is coming in with both of them. Um, it's pretty interesting. Um, over at the Marin house, uh, grandma Marin is... Ashley is like nowhere to be seen in this episode, but Grandma Marin is all over. Um, I'm happy to have her back. She is there with a basket of muffins baked by Mona for Hannah. Um, Grandma Marin quickly puts together who Mona is and asks a conflicted Hannah if she wants a fresh start. Um, then she, Grandma Marin, tells this very disturbing story about a troubled relative who was sent away and came back just fine. Um, and Hannah asks if people can change. Grandma Marin starts in on a, on a colloquialism, but Hannah is too exhausted. Grandma Marin urges her to let this girl have a chance to win you back. 
I think she might be an ally too, you guys. Um, also, I really love the idea of her visiting just Ashley and Hannah. And she closes this scene by saying, if I were her, I'd fight to the death to have you as my friend. Grandma Marin is the best. She totally is. I mean, the whole part, this entire conversation truly sounds like it could be and is discussing an ex-girlfriend. Hannah refers to Mona wanting a fresh start uh, and says she's not sure she's ready to give it to her. You know, Grandma Marin has, like, made this elaborate breakfast. Like, you know, Ashley and Hannah are, like, the family of takeout salads. But Grandma Marin is here and she has made huevos rancheros she's made a pile of toast she's made she specifies pork sausage and hash browns like she has just a whole buffet of foods ready uh to get hannah you know into her day um and just also all the things that she says about you know letting mona win you back uh and hannah i think even throws out one of the lines that's such a big deal for her and caleb when she says it's complicated uh, about Mona. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff here uh, that, that's really pinging. But overall in this scene, I just love the way uh, that Hannah's grandma like puts an arm around her and like, you know, I, I think she kisses her on the forehead at one point. And it's just so nice how completely and totally loved Hannah is by her mom and her grandma. Like in a world of somewhat conditional parental support that all the other liars experience. I think this is the real difference maker for how Hannah is just such a big hearted character. Oh, I completely agree. And I think you had, you had made the note in one of the first episodes where we had met grandma Marin that this, you can completely see this person as Hannah's grandmother. You can completely see how, how how having this this woman in her life kind of shaped Hannah to be the person that she is and I just I love I love that here I love her just like you know her her weird little expressions and her big generous heart and she just she shares so much DNA with Hannah um that I I really adore I I love this character and I love this performance oh I completely agree and also we should just note that like a lot of times Ashley might be out of town and Hannah would be left home alone, which has not mm-hmm. happened here. Ashley is nowhere to be seen, but Grandma Marin is presumably staying with Hannah uh, in order to kind of keep her safe. So this is like a more low-key security measure, but it is a, a difference uh, in terms of, you know, what the liars are going through versus what they would normally be dealing with. That's a good point. And it's not explained why she's here. Like she's just here in the episode and it's not like she's here for some particular reason. And that feels very true to this character and the place that she has in Ashley and Hannah's lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. Uh, at school. So, do you want to take it to Liar? Yeah, uh, it, yeah. At school, Emily is. Uh, complaining about being under house arrest and suggesting maybe they should all befriend Mona in case she knows about what happened to Garrett. Uh, Aria bristles, gets angry at the mention of Garrett accusing her dad. She storms off and then runs smack into Mona. Uh, Mona, who is dressed very demurely and is kind of standing outside the school building and passively taking scathing remarks that are being thrown at her 
uh, by passersby. She says hi to Arya, who stares at her suspiciously before walking inside. Uh, on Arya, uh, who's you know still having a bad enough day, and then Emily catches up to her to apologize. Arya's just freaked because she can't handle this dad situation on top of having not told Prezra about his fake son. And now she's about to discover that Meredith is their new sub for, I guess it's a history class? Uh, it takes approximately two seconds for Arya to get busted for not paying attention to her questions and texting the other liars during class. This results in Arya's phone being confiscated. During this interlude, we see that Mona is really looking hard at all the liars in turn, though mostly Hannah. Uh, after the bell, Meredith asks Arya to stay after class, and all of the liars remain behind with her. Meredith tells them all off, uh, instructing them to focus on American history, not her history, if they want to graduate. She is fairly threatening here, so it really doesn't seem like a good faith bid to remain professional. Where does Rosewood find these teachers? <laughs> oh, they're so bad. Um, yeah, I love this like Mona 2.0 look because it's it's like a little bit of old Mona, but it's also very Spencer, which I find really fascinating. And I really just I really like the idea that the costume department clearly was like, OK, she can't quite be the old Mona look. We need to update it a little bit to kind of incorporate these new shades of her personality. It works really, really well. Yeah, well, interestingly, uh, while there is, you know, in this episode where there's so much debate about, like, who is Mona? Has she changed? Mm -hmm. Mona is costumed in shades of gray in, like, almost every, uh, in almost every scene that she's in. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, so Hannah chases Mona down to apologize for not being there with her every moment. Um, Mona is very understanding and she opens up her locker to see a brain stabbed um, into the little corkboard on the door with the with the note above it takes one mad cow to know another. Mona pulls the knife out and walks tearfully through a crowd of people with the knife extended. Everybody's like, you know, gasping and both gathered around and keeping distance and pulling out their cell phones and, you know, all all a Twitter. Uh, we see at the end of the hallway stands Jason watching this whole thing. Mona uh, deposits the brain into the trash can and then does this beautiful spin around with the knife extended. Um, she sees Lucas and then she drops the knife in the garbage can before whispering something to him, gathering her things and running out. Um, Hannah asks what Lucas told Mona, but he runs off looking scared. Of course, later we will find out that this was all Caleb and Paige's doing, which I have to say makes me like both of them a little bit less. I had that same note that I thought that later we found out that Caleb was behind this. And I think that that's totally horrible. Forgot that Paige was involved, too. That That's really disappointing, uh, especially since Paige has a history of being bullied herself. Uh, but note that uh, note that when you know, Hannah goes over to talk to Lucas. She wants to know what Mona whispered to him. And this is like the beginning of an era in PLL where we're going to have so many lost in translation whispers where one character whispers something that might be critical to another person, but we'll, we'll never find out what it was. Um, yeah. 
But so that happens. But then as Lucas is not telling Hannah uh, what happened and as he is uh, hurrying away, he does like a really bad acting kind of fake limp as he's staggering off. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, there's a lot in this episode of people just sort of observing other people at a slight distance and like making assumptions about what they might be up to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Over in the bathroom, Team Sparia is bickering. Uh, We also learn that Arya was excused from dissection on vegetarian slash humanitarian grounds. I I love that character note for her. Uh, Emily is worried that Mona is going to think that they put the cow brain in her locker. And Spencer points out they couldn't have because they were with Meredith. Uh, Emily says, so Meredith's our alibi? See you in jail. Uh, They all discuss feeling kind of sorry for Mona before Spencer tries to call that train to a halt by pointing out all the things that Mona did to them that were worse. Uh, And that, of course, is the cue for Mona herself to enter and check her hair in the mirror. Is she not washing her hands? I know that this show is not sent during our current moment of crisis, but even so, did she not just touch cow brains? <laughs> oh, Emily uses this chance to try and make sure Mona doesn't think that they had anything to do with what happened. Mona says no. Why would they dump on her after she helped them? Uh, specifically, she helped Emily figure out who was the creep who killed her girlfriend. But she knows there's still bad blood, and she'll do whatever she can to earn their trust. She is, she assures them brightly, better now. I love any time somebody delivers that line in this episode. She's better now. Like, it's just, it's just, the simplicity of it is just perfect. And I also love how it's kind of a double meaning, where it's like, She's better as in she's all healed, but she's better as in like she's gotten even better at playing this game to the point that she's like playing it, you know, in plain sight at this point. One hundred percent. I love this interaction. And I, I really like that Hannah is not here in this scene. This is uh, this is strictly Mona interacting with the non Hannah liars, which I always think is is so interesting uh, because at least here in the early seasons, her relationships are usually so Hannah centric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, it's also very Aria to be immediately swayed by the emotion and to be like, I feel bad for her. Like it's all fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Hannah arrives at Caleb's computer corner here at school. They've decided to come out, and of course, he is delighted about the Mona Cowbrain story. He's just sorry he missed it. Hannah is worried about the potential connection between Mona and Lucas. She wonders if Lucas hurt his leg on the Halloween train, and she brings up Arya stabbing someone. Um, Caleb says that that was weeks ago, which would seem to imply that we are well into November. Just if anybody needed their brains to spin a little bit more, there we have it. Um, Caleb, sort of, like, this is the classic thing. Caleb is always agreeing to talk to Lucas on behalf of Hannah. And once again, he agrees to do that here. Yeah, I I had that same note. um, That if we're a couple weeks into November, 
that is completely hilarious because if every single episode between the Halloween train and the Christmas episode in season five, if every single episode represented just one single day, it would still be like 35 to 40 days at least. And this episode is like <laughs> three days long. So, <laughs> oh, show. <laughs> you just, it's like, it's not even endless November. We need to start calling it endless last two weeks of November. <laughs> endless half November. Endless half November. Endless uh, week of Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I also like my note about how delighted, like at this point, we don't know that Caleb was behind the prank for sure. But uh, just the way that he reacts when Hannah is obviously upset about it. Um, it's really clear that he is amused by what happened to Mona because he's a little mean and he takes pleasure in Mona's distress, which my note on that is mm-hmm. throw the whole man away. Yeah. Yeah, it's this it's really not a good a good look on him. And also like later he's going to do a hacking thing that nobody asked him to do just so he can like prove that Mona's, you know, bad in his in his eyes. So, yeah. Ugh. I'm 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 rapidly tiring of Caleb here. Yeah, the the men in this episode are not great. That is like my first, but not my last, throw the whole man away commentary on their behavior this week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emily is on the phone with her dad. She is explaining that she could not take her mom's call because her phone was off. She has class. She can't report in every 10 minutes that she's still alive. Uh, She says she has to work after school. She doesn't want to give up her job, too. But she will be back after that. While arguing, she notices Mona talking to the janitor who's cleaning up her locker and recognizes him as Harold, the front desk manager slash proprietor of the Lost Woods Resort. Mm. Yeah, we even have like a spooky flashback to really remind us of who this guy is. Yeah, um, and I guess the thing—I guess the thing that pings Emily's uh, suspicions is that he like looks at her, and she looks at him, and he doesn't acknowledge her, or he doesn't act like he knows her. She says he like looks right through her, but I don't actually think it's very suspicious for someone who runs a ramshackle motel that no one stays at to also have a job that is like a second job. That seems totally normal and fine to me yeah yeah agreed agreed um yes so spencer and toby are having lunch at school he lies about why she didn't hear from him last night and is super antagonistic when spencer questions why jenna changed schools why do you obsess about this stuff he snarks um because her life depends on it and also that's what makes her Spencer you ass Spencer is defensive and then they see Mona and Jason hugging Um, this is where I took the note that this episode is all people watching other people do things Toby tells her to leave it alone very likely my friend Um, and Spencer says that she can't because Jason is hugging a hand grenade yeah my note was that they are having lunch like they're outside in the courtyard and I called it like dining l toxic like toxic so uh because their <laughs> dynamics here are just 
awful. He seems like she at one point says, can I ask you something? If I ask you something, will you promise not to get upset? And I feel like if you can't just generally ask questions of your partner without having to like proceed it with, will you promise not to get upset? Like you, you just, you might want to think about your life, Spencer Hastings. You might want to think about, for example, throwing the whole man away. <laughs> just as a just as an idea. Mm-hmm. See how it feels. Yeah. Try it out. Yeah, this is things are things are bad. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, she's like she obviously is still like charmed by him. She's ruffling his hair and then he's responding to that by lying about his whereabouts the night before. Yeah. Yeah. Spencer comes across as especially dense in this episode because Toby is doing such a bad job of hiding that he's actually Tobey. And like every scene, he's acting really weird and like quiet and calculating and suspicious, you know, as much as Toby can. Um, And so, yeah, so Spencer just comes across as like she's, you know, whistling through a graveyard or something. Yeah, yeah, truly, truly she does. Now, Hannah and Emily are in the bowels of the school, a land of abandoned desks and filing cabinets and cleaning supplies, planning to investigate this janitor for the crime of having a second job and talking to Mona. They find him in his office, listening to country music and writing in a notebook. But they also see the baby doll mask and some of the other things from Mona's lair that they think he might be keeping with plans to return them uh, to Mona at a later time. He hears them whispering and uh, he comes out of his office and they hide very inexpertly beside some old desks. Like this hiding job is really bad. Like you can see like fully half of Hannah's body and like her entire leg. But, um, you know, fortunately the the janitor is not a, you know, he's not a curious individual. So he just kind of like peers out and then goes back in his office and doesn't see them. Yeah, they're they're also talking at full voice in the doorway of his office. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. It's like this character has gone from Norman Bates to Freddy Krueger hiding down here in the school basement, you know? Oh, my gosh. He totally has. Yeah, he's just like a fill-in-the-blank, uh, fill-in-the-blank horror movie character, it seems like. Yeah, and also, isn't he wearing a jumpsuit? That's very, that's very Michael Myers. True, true. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we have this really stupid Presria scene where he gives Arya a special pendant that he's worn every marathon he's ever run. So, like, no marathons, I'm going to say. <laughs> he puts it on Arya, who can't take it because she's too filled with guilt, I guess. She's acting super weird, but Prezra, like, it seems weirdly very invested in her running this marathon. I feel like the marathon becomes this metaphor for, like, being a good person, and Arya somehow feels like she doesn't deserve that honor or something. Um, well, um, also, her phone beep. Oh, go ahead. Everyone is talking about marathons, and then when we actually get to the event, it's a 10K. Which is, like, a 10K is, like, about three miles, whereas a marathon is, like, over 20 miles. So I think there's a really big difference there. But, you know, again, endless two weeks in November, 
you do you show. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, and the, and it ends up being, like, it's not like anybody, like, trips on the trail and breaks an ankle. Like, the, the actual marathon part of this, the episode is very inconsequential. Um, but Arya is acting really weird. Her phone beeps, and she lies and says that it's Hannah. Or she lies and says that it's Ella, but it's, in fact, Hannah. Um, Prezra, like, weirdly gets in some digs about her going off to hang with her mom. She says that, her, like, her mom is freaking out about Meredith being at the school. And he's like, well, go, like, be with your mom. She'll enjoy time with you because I can't. And it's like, what? Like, why are you being pissy about this, dude? Um, outside Prezra's apartment, there is a giant it's a boy arrangement with a card from A. Like babies, lies grow bigger, then they start talking. When will you? Arya looks totally panicked. Um, whether this is Mona or Charlotte, it is quite funny to me that um, former and current A's are really enjoying sending baskets in this episode. Truly, they are. Um, you know, they're they're very influenced by Pam Fields and you know the the welcome. I guess so. The welcome nature of basket giving. Uh, I want to just talk for a minute about this like necklace item that he is giving her because. It looks like in the olden days when you used a subway token <laughs> to ride the subway in New York, it looks like a subway token tied with a piece of yarn. And I'm not going to say whether or not Arya would wear such an understated piece, but I am having issues with him giving this to her because he's worn it in all these marathons that he's ever run. If you believe he has run any marathons, it is probably covered in Prezra neck sweat. Who wants to wear that? Oh, I think we know somebody who wants to wear that. And unfortunately, her name is Arya Montgomery. Oh my gosh, it's so revolting. <laughs> it is, it is. This is also like, this is a bad time culturally for us to be like, talking about things like that because it just <laughs> it, it, everything feels more germy and disgusting right now i mean okay yes that is definitely true and there are i mean i would wish to socially distance myself from preserfits any day of the week uh but i do yes. think i would still be skeeved out by the neck sweat pendant uh that he is trying <laughs> to give to her here even even in regular times Yes, yes. Oh, regular times. What are those? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, outside in full daylight, Spencer and Toby are finishing their run, and Toby thinks they've earned a little hot tub. <laughs> and he's, Speaking he's of talking, sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> he's talking. So, so, like, also, so they're like coming in, and Spencer says, ha, 10. And I'm going to assume that means that they just ran 10K as opposed to they've been running for 10 minutes. Because 10 minutes, I mean, I guess that's a lot of running. But I, I don't know if you need to immediately go into a hot tub afterwards. Uh, but anyway, Toby Toby is talking like he's talking like he's a hot tub guy all of a sudden. Like they're going to grab a little hot tub and he's going to go fire it up like it's a... <laughs> like it's a car or a grill. Not just a hot tub that you basically turn on um anyway he's he's doing this hot tub guy situation 
and Jason pulls up next door and Spencer tries to caution him about Mona as Toby lurks shirtless in the background. Uh, Jason is not impressed by people thinking Mona could be dangerous as people used to say that about him as well. Yeah, this scene plays also plays like Jason and Toby might be ex-lovers. <laughs> like the way that Toby is like, lurking behind Spencer, staring at, to- at Jason completely shirtless, and Jason doesn't seem to want to talk in front of Toby. Like, I don't know. I mean, they we know that they were they were shirtless pals, like clearing the brush, the endless amounts of brush in the Bilarentis <laughs> Hastings yards. Yes, and then Jason hired him to move the piles of he he like hired him to do that task of taking burned stuff from one pile and putting it in another pile of burnt stuff after Jason's house was firebombed. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Who knows? Who knows what might have gone down? Perhaps Jason has also been tubbing around with Toby. <laughs> It's true. They might oh my have God. Been firing that up. series coming with Toby. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, what can be? Would I rather sit in a hot tub with Toby or wear a pendant that had President's neck sweat on it? Oh. Well, hmm. well, is Toby giving you a forceful shoulder massage? Oh, if he were, that would push me more towards neck sweat. You you raise a good point. So over at the brew, Arya is very worried that Hannah might have told Mona about Malcolm. Um, She's freaked out. She disposed of the basket. Um, Kind of surprised she didn't try to, like, I don't know, fashion that balloon into a quirky tube top or something. Um, But Emily is, who is allegedly working, comes over and sits down to talk more about Creepy Harold. She just, like, she's in her apron. She comes over. She plops right down. Um... Hannah doesn't think it's that weird that Harold's at the school. She can understand someone upending their life just to spend every moment by Mona's side. Um, But Arya wants them to bust into his office. Just then Caleb arrives. He didn't get anything from Lucas, but he did get a transcript from the meeting, um, Mona's meeting with the principal and her parents. It turns out that Mona actually begged to come back to school. She was not forced. Caleb is all too delighted to discover that Mona lied. And then there's, like, this weird interaction where Emily's like, I have to go back to work. And Caleb, like, grabs her arm and is like, feed me, I'm starving. And I feel like, do they have that kind of relationship? I don't know. That seems weirdly very familiar to me. I do not think they have that type of relationship. That seemed really out of character uh, as well. But it kind of leads into, like, we had the scene before of, like, Toby, like, weirdly watching Jason and Spencer interact. And now we're going to have, like, Hannah and Arya watching from a distance as Emily and Caleb interact. And she presumably feeds him because he's a man and she's a lady. Yeah. I, and also is the expectation, is Caleb's expectation that she's going to, like, give him free food because she works there? I mean, she probably would. She's a terrible employee. But... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, and that and yeah. she's like, there's a Emily has to go back to work because no one is minding the line of people that's been <laughs> that's been forming at the counter. And then when she goes back to like tend to that, Caleb like comes and cuts to the front of the line. So, <laughs> so she 
give him free food. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and exactly. also, also, where is Paige? <laughs> like, I feel like, I feel like we had a single page mention. I, where is Paige McCullers? She should be here in this episode. Oh, she definitely should. Well, especially because we had that whole debate about like what happened between them on the ghost train. Uh, whatever it was, there's not really an afterglow because Paige is, you know, completely absent from this one. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so back over on the couch, Aria is convinced that Mona is behind the basket. Um, but Hannah points points out that if Aria just fesses up about uh, about Malcolm, A doesn't have the power. Hannah weirdly gets on this thing about a kid needing his dad because Caleb struggled without one. Uh, she sort of ominously regards Caleb from afar. Um, this is not really quite the same situation, Hannah, um, because Malcolm actually does have one parent who is quite engaged in his life. It's also not Hannah's place. And funnily enough, it's not Arya's place either. This is a case where Arya being passive is actually a good thing. She shouldn't say anything. This is not her business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A totally different situation of Caleb being in foster care. Ugh. My only other note is that I wish we had gotten a scene of Arya trashing the basket because that basket was so big with the balloon on it. It was like basically as big as Lucy Hale. <laughs> Very good point. Very good point. Uh, over at Spencer's, now, uh, you know, like, it, it was light, full light when Spencer and Toby were on their run. Uh, and he was talking about them grabbing some hot tub and firing it up. Uh, <laughs> but, but now it is full darkness. Darkness has fallen just like that. Things move fast here in Rosewood. Uh, it's totally dark, and Toby is just now getting in the hot tub. Uh, it is barely big <laughs> enough for the two of them and his attitude, wherein he is mad at Spencer immediately, because what is Spencer doing? She's thinking. <laughs> Nay, we're going to upgrade that. She is stewing uh, and not being appropriately put at ease by his condescending manner and attempt at a shoulder rub. Spencer is still upset about Jason, and also she freaks out when she hears a noise nearby. Uh, she abruptly gets up and announces she wants to go inside. He sits there looking frustrated. And I really have to say, after all of the things that the liars have been through, even if Spencer had, like, unreasonable scruples about, like, when she wants to be outside after dark, what things make her feel safe and what things don't, his job as her boyfriend would be to respect and support those. Uh, and none of these boundaries that she is setting here are unreasonable. They're all totally fine. Like, we're out after dark. We're in this hot tub. I hear, like, a strange noise that I don't know what it is. One of my nemeses is, like, on the loose again, and I don't know what's up with that. Like, it is totally rational for Spencer to be like, you know what? I would feel safer inside. Uh, but Tobe is, he, he's a real, a real a-hole here. He's, he's putting the A, uh, in his name several ways, uh, and he just sits there looking like, can you believe these women? Yeah, 
one thing that I find really annoying about sort of the ramp up of Tobey is that it it sort of feels like they're having Spencer be a quote unquote bad girlfriend in this way for us to kind of be like, well, she's just making it worse for herself. Like, like what was Tobey supposed to do? You know, Tobey's got a Tobey. Um, and so it's like, you know, she's not being attentive and she's not listening and she's not, you know, letting him rub her shoulders against her will. Um, and it's just, it's just kind of annoying. And then it also does that thing I was mentioning earlier where it, it just kind of serves to make her seem dense because she's not picking up on his very obvious, suddenly malicious nature. Well, yeah. And it's one thing to say to your partner, like, gosh, it doesn't feel like you're really present right now. What, what's going on uh, versus starting off from a point where you're mad at your partner for thinking. <laughs> That's just not, it's not a good look, Tobey. Tobey, yeah, Tobey, you're 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 not uh, you're not you're not doing well here. Um, so Arya is staring at the sweaty necklace of guilt when her dad walks in. He wants to know how school was, but actually wants to interrogate her about Meredith, who he completely forgot was going to be Arya's teacher today. What a good, attentive father. He thanks her for, quote, handling the situation like an adult. Meredith, we learn, lied and said that the liars were cautiously welcoming. He does not, mind you, ask how Arya feels about this situation or how it was for her or anything of the sort. Oh, no, he's feeling pretty pleased with himself and ready to wrap this conversation up. But Arya has a bit of a whopper in store for him. She asks, did he like Allison? Byron reacts super suspiciously and offers nothing of substance, stammering when Arya asks if they spent any time together. Sounds like a pedo to me. Byron leaves, but Arya but watches Arya like a creep from her from her uh, the doorway to her bedroom. Yeah, and also points to Byron for gaslighting when uh, you know he says he forgot that Arya was in that class, and Arya says. Yeah, and she can't transfer out. She needs it to graduate. His response is, why would you? Like, why would Arya potentially have any feelings of wanting to transfer out of a class that his uh, former mistress is teaching? All, any, any issue with that must be completely incomprehensible and all on Arya's shoulders. Yeah, yeah, and the way that he just, like, stands up from this conversation with a big old grin on his face, like, well, my dad work is done for the day, is so infuriating. Oh, yeah, and the way that he dodges when she's talking about Allison, like, when she says, did you like Allison? And he just deflects fast and hard, like, oh, I like all of your friends. And she kind of, like, leads him down a trail, like, oh, you know, mom didn't, you know, she thought that Allie was entitled and Byron's like, oh, you know, I, I think it was just that it's an awkward age. And then when she asks if he ever spent any time alone with Allie, his response is, why would I have? So he's just, I mean, he could not be acting more sketchy in the responses that he's giving here. Yeah, yeah, he's he's really coming off very creepy and very suspicious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so we cut to a video of Mona crying and discussing how she was a loser and bullied and tortured. 
Uh, we see that it is Hannah watching this video as her grandma watches over her shoulder, another like person who's watching what someone else is doing. Uh, grandma has done a 180 after seeing this video and calls Mona more twisted than her toes. Uh, she thinks that Mona is trying way too hard with this campaign. Uh, Lucas arrives at the um, patio door and Hannah stops the video. He has come by to drop off the rest of the money that he owes Caleb. Uh, Hannah presses him for more info on Mona, asking if she has something on him, if he's done something he regrets. Uh, he doesn't give her much, but he does mention that he hurt his leg in a skateboarding accident. And he tells her that Mona has been sneaking out of Radley, Radley way before her doctors released her. Uh, before he leaves, they have a nice, I guess, for them moment where Hannah says she misses him and he says he misses her too. Uh, I don't think that this is the dark Lucas uh, that we were seeing a lot of previously. Uh, I, I'm not sure that he's back to being like the Lucas of light, uh, but he is back to being like the Lucas who wears sweaters and moons after Hannah. So it seems. Yeah. I mean, I really felt like this exchange of I miss you. I miss you too. Was, you know, this is between Hannah and Mona. This is what Hannah wants to say to Mona, but she can't right now. You're right. You're so right. He's a stand-in for that, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Hannah sits down to watch the video some more, and we cut over to people at school watching the video as Mona on video talks about owning up to what's to what's been done and what's been done to you and forgiveness. Um, this is the day of the not marathon marathon and Caleb and Aria who are apparently manning the first aid booth are both unimpressed by this Mona video who is here, but Mona who they are very surprised to see at the school function. Mona who was back in school. Um, everybody is just eating out of the palm of her hand um, rushing over to her, thanking her, hugging her. Um, Hannah and Grandma Marin arrive arm in arm, and Spencer rushes to hug Grandma Marin like a very good future granddaughter-in-law. Well, I have future granddaughter-in-law in my notes too. <gasps> Yay! <laughs> that makes me very happy. <laughs> um, should I take Caleb and Aria here too? Oh, yeah, I thought you were going to take their whole, like, first aid station slash refreshment booth thing that they're doing. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, I don't know. This is how Arya got out of having to actually run the marathon. Um, but I guess she's maybe still wearing the sweaty pendant. I don't know. Um, Caleb and Arya keep snarking about Mona. And Arya very nervously and suddenly asks Caleb about what his life would be like if he ever wonders what his life would have been like if his dad had been around at, oh, I don't know, the totally random age of about six or seven. No reason why I'm asking this question. Just, I don't know, just seem like first aid booth talk. Um, Aria, you're very bad at this. But Caleb is like very willing to share here. He talks about looking for his dad everywhere as a kid, even in his dreams, until he was about 13. He was tired and he realized that he needed to focus on himself. He says that he's fine with how things turned out, but sometimes he wishes he knew. Um, so this is obviously like not only 
teeing up the whole Presria uh, fake sun thing, but also the fact that um, a big part of this season is going to be Caleb uh, reconnecting with his biological father. Um, but also, like, Arya is making this huge leap here in this idea. First of all, the idea that if if Maggie doesn't tell Presra about Malcolm now, that she's never going to tell him, that's a really big leap. Also, the idea that Malcolm would somehow feel exactly the same way that Caleb feels, despite the fact that Malcolm uh, seems to have a very stable parent, which is something Caleb did not grow up with. Um, and this is really, you know, again, Arya making this decision for Maggie um, when Arya is not the parent here. Maggie Maggie is, um, to, to Malcolm, Maggie is the only parent that he has ever known. Um, Maggie certainly should have more say in any of this than Arya should. And, you know, based on the information that Arya knows about Prezra and his family, Maggie has very good reasons for not wanting to involve Prezra and the whole Fitzgerald clan because they've treated her really horribly in the past and might cut her off financially, um, which could have a, a really detrimental effect on herself and her son. So Arya is just like, she's taking some really big swings in this episode and uh, really missing the mark here, I think. Oh, I, I completely, <laughs> completely agree. Uh, also, I feel like this conversation between Arya and Caleb like, it's very emotional as if they have a relationship that we, like, never get to see. Because I feel like this is one of their only solo conversations that they'll ever have up until the episode where he teaches her how to hack in, like, a day. Yeah, that's really true. It's like Caleb, and then Caleb had that weird interaction with Emily earlier. It's like, yeah, what's, what's, what's going on? Caleb suddenly seems much more familiar with the liars than he ever has previously. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Uh, so now the run is going to be starting in three minutes. Uh, there are various checkpoints, and Hannah's grandma insists on singing the national anthem. Uh, as she is singing her heart out, Spencer has Aria and Hannah planning to ditch the fun run before the second checkpoint in order to sneak back into the school and investigate the janitor's office. Emily cannot join them due to being stuck in her house. Uh, this race is also in broad daylight, so I don't know what the problem would have been. Uh, but Hannah then drops the bomb that she thinks Mona was on the Halloween train. Implied, but not stated, is that she was the one who, you know, tried to kiss Hannah while disguised as Caleb. But Hannah doesn't go into that. She passes it off as Lucas just gave her this information about how Mona was sneaking out of Radley. Uh, as Hannah's grandmother launches into the second verse of the Star Spangled Banner, the staff member in charge of starting the race fires the starter pistol into the air, possibly to avoid any chance that the racist third verse might make an appearance. <laughs> Do you think that Mona has put together that, or that Hannah has put together that Mona was the one who tried to kiss her at this point? Well, I mean, I told you that, like, when she didn't chase that figure down, I I believe that she knew that it was Mona. Uh, but, yeah, I, I definitely think, like, there's a difference between knowing and kind of knowing. But now that Hannah has the information that Mona was definitely able to get out of Radley and is placing her on the Halloween train, uh, I, I definitely think that... Um, 
that yeah that she she knows that Mona was wearing that costume and that Mona is wearing the mask of Allison's face. Yeah, because the way that she says this to the liars, like I think Mona was on the Halloween train, like it's almost like it's coming from this like deep instinctual place, and then she doesn't offer any follow up information, and it it really does feel like she's had kind of a revelation here. Yeah, yeah, I. I mean, it's, like, such a rich subject of, like, what does Hannah know and understand or, or what doesn't she? But in, in that situation, she, also just, like, the the way, like, the gravitas with which she says that, like, it's almost yes. like she has a lot more that she could say, but then chooses yes. not to. Um, and so I, I think that that, that kind of speaks to that as well. I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, so over at Fort Fields, Emily is not even allowed to crack open a window. She does, however, steal her dad's phone and replace it with hers, um, swapping off the phone cases, which really seems like a risky move. What if she gets an A text or a sext from Paige? That would certainly be awkward. Um, Wayne has not even left the house when Emily is already disarming the alarm system and escaping out the window. This is a classic liars not waiting until their parents have even cleared the front porch before running out of the house moment. Yeah, this is an extremely silly plot line because if, if Wayne is so concerned about the security situation... Wouldn't he notice the phone switch right away? Like, wouldn't he notice the phone switch when he is leaving the home and checking to see if Emily is appropriately locked in? Uh, Also, the way that Emily has been acting about this alarm on her window, it's like she's practically like wearing a T-shirt or getting a tattoo that says, I sneak out my window all the time. So, of course, her parents are going to be acting a little more cautious in light of that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah, she's out the window. Next thing we see, she is at the school trying to pick the lock to the janitor's office with a paper clip. Spencer comes in and uses a bobby pin because she is a confidence expert. Uh, the baby doll mask stuff is gone, but they find that Harold was writing a letter to Mona in the back of a notebook that had been in the lair. They assume he thinks it is Mona's diary, but Spencer identifies that it is actually Allison's. Bum, bum, bum. Um, Outside, Mona is laying out ribbons um, when Meredith comes by with some goodie bags. Mona stares at Meredith like she might try to kill her or she might try to kiss her or she might try to do both. Yeah, it's a very Killing Eve kind of moment that she's having with Meredith here. It it really is. It really is. Um, yeah, there's. I feel like you could really, um, and I know that they're kind of queuing us up for Meredith to be suspicious in a few episodes, but it really feels like it could be a thing where, like, Meredith and Mona might both be on the A-team because there was that whole moment earlier where, like, Meredith provided the alibi for the liars to not have been the one to have put the thing in uh, the cow brains away. And like, I don't know, Mona's like staring after Meredith a lot. Like there's, you could really read a lot about the connection between Mona and Meredith. Oh, I love that because I have, I have a question about whether there are two other people who are on the A-team in this episode. So I, 
I like the idea that Mona and Meredith could also be working in tandem. Um, hmm. mm-hmm. uh, the liars uh, find the, the diary entry, uh, the, like the one that they randomly open to. Uh, and I, I love the entry that we see on the page uh, where it's about someone who is like a little lost bunny who had been cornered and how he needed to pay Allison. Uh, she writes the words, a little something something to keep his wife and family <laughs> intact. Um, Arya reads the page as we set up for a flashback sequence of Allison trying to get her something something. Yeah. Do you want to? Do you want to take this flashback or should, oh, shall I? Oh, I was gonna. I was gonna let you take the flashback. Okay. Um, so this this flashback starts very interestingly because. Allison is in Byron's um, office. He's just gotten a promotion, it seems. And she's sort of monologuing about um, how he's such a powerful man. And he comes over and closes the drapes. And you're like, what's going on here? Um, But then we learn that she has apparently been blackmailing him regarding Meredith. She threatens to tell Ella or possibly the dean and starts to call Ella when he snatches the phone out of her hand. Um, this whole time, Byron's been saying, you know, he's not going to do this. He's he's he can't give her any more money. All this, all of this. Um, Allison remains pretty cool until the moment when he grabs her hand. She does look a little freaked then. Um, Byron says that he can't pay her anymore. And she tells him that she's leaving town, but will be back Labor Day weekend. So Byron officially has a motive for having possibly killed Allison. Yeah, I love this flashback. I love the way that Allison is like, this is like the essence of Allison. She is so in control. She is doing a great job of playing Byron. But in the moment where he grabs her hand, because she's like theatrically, She's like dialing the Montgomery landline on her phone to demonstrate how easy it would be for her to tell Ella. And that's when he like grabs her arm and grabs the phone. And it's just like Allison being so in control, but also playing with forces that she doesn't completely understand. Like she is taken aback by like the violence uh, in in him, like the length that he's willing to go through here. Uh, And I, I just think that that's, that's always in play when we see like the teenage version uh, of Allison from before her disappearance. So I, I really, I like this scene between the two of them. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think what's really interesting in all of this is that um, similar, I would say to the scenes of her and Prezra later in the show, um, it's sort of like there's this unspoken thing where it's like technically this this older guy is not hooking up with this younger girl, but there really feels like there's the energy of that in the scene. It really feels like there's the energy of a really creepy sort of uh, like sexual power dynamic. Um, and it's almost like, yeah, it's just it feels like there like there's there's a there's a layer of that to the scene that that doesn't really get acknowledged, but is I don't know to me at least definitely felt like it was there. No, I mean, I completely agree. Like, when he grabs her hand with the phone in it, it there is a moment where it seems like, is he going to, like, be moved to more violence? Or is he going to try to kiss her? Like, what is going to 
you know, what is going to come of this? Like they're standing so close together. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, do you think here, here's a question. Uh, do you think yeah. that if Allison had come on to Byron, that he would have slept with Allison? Yes, I do. I do I think do so. Do you think so? Oh, a hundred percent. Like, he has no moral center that would make me feel like, oh, no, of course he would. No, he would 100% bang one of Arya's friends. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Well, and it's in, it's interesting because in the last episode, I had mentioned that I felt like Spencer, a couple of times when Byron had come up, had reacted in a way that suggested to me that perhaps she had had some uncomfortable moments with Byron. Oh, it would not, it would not surprise me at all. um, I'm going to make another Mad Men comparison that there's a, there's the episode where Don is having, like, he's taken Sally and some of her school friends out to like, like a Mongolian barbecue type restaurant. And one of the girls is like being a little flirty with him. And he like a grown adult man is not unresponsive to that. And later when Sally calls him out, he says, I'm sorry, your friend is fast. Mm-hmm. And like, he, he put like, that is Byron. Like Byron would be like talking to Arya's friends as if like, oh, they're, you know, they're adult, they're sophisticated. They're, you know, he's, he's that guy. He would totally behave in that way. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Ugh. Uh, but, creepy, but back, creepy man. <laughs> we're pulled out of the flashback when the liars hear a noise and know that Harold the janitor is coming back. They want Emily to hide the diary in her jacket, but then they think maybe they should leave it because otherwise he'll know that they took it. Um, Aria rips the pages about her dad out, and then they, you know, without much discussion about it, do leave the book. Uh, Harold the janitor intercepts them and takes the page out of Aria's hand. Uh, They make excuses for being down there. He seems lightly menacing. Uh, And then Toby arrives and Harold backs down in the presence either of another man or his superior on the A-team. Arya grabs the pages back and the liars take off. Yeah, Arya is very sort of like feral almost in this scene. She's like, she does not want to let those pages go. Um, now, do you think, oh, no, I was, I was just going to ask, do you think that Harold and Toby are both on the A-team and that's why Toby's appearance, uh, like makes Harold back down? I mean, maybe, I think there's this thing happening with Toby right now where it's like, he just kind of shows up somewhere and like glares at somebody and we're meant to read like 8 million possible reasons for it. And the show never really is going to tell us like what it was because later we'll find out that like, you know, he was allegedly like not really involved in anything when in fact it's like, he seems to be very involved in many things. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think you could read it that way. I think you could read similarly with like the scene with Toby and Jason earlier, um, but I'm just like, I feel like it's hard for me to, to put too much behind like all of the Tobey machinations. Cause they all just are eventually going to be so vague and kind of sl- swept under the rug. Good point. Good point. Those are 
Those are my thoughts. Um, so outside, the liars are just so darn glad that Jesus Christ himself, Toby Cavanaugh, has <laughs> showed up to save them. Most honest man in Rosewood, you know, carpenter, carpenter of our dreams. Um, but just then, there is an explosion and a scream. Um, the little shed is on fire, and it sounds like Mona might be in it because everybody's shouting, Mona, Mona, Mona. <laughs> Yeah. Also, night and full darkness have fallen in the time that it took Emily to yep. sneak out of the window, pick the lock with a paper clip, and have a flashback. Night and full darkness are here. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so Emily is now returned to her room, and Wayne is talking on the phone to her principal. Uh, why would the principal be on the phone with Wayne right now? Like, if Emily wasn't even supposed to have been at the fun run? Also, shouldn't the principal be busy with, like, insurance and liability stuff since this shed just went up in flames and someone was inside of it? Rosewood. Uh, anyway, Wayne has the info that it was the new teacher, Ms. Sorensen, who was injured by this arson that he describes as a prank. Uh, also, he is aware of the phone switch and taken aback when Emily refer refers to Meredith by her first name. LOL at Emily not being on board with first naming people's parents in later seasons. Uh, Wayne tells Emily that they should stop fighting about why he won't let her out and start talking about why she won't let him in. He talks about losing people and how you get through it with your family. Uh, he leaves and Emily starts to cry. Yeah, this is such a sad moment that Emily, you know, has just gone through so much at this point. Um, and she cannot, she cannot let him in, you know. And and this is one of those things where, like, I feel like if, you know, like, if this scene was playing out between, like, Ashley and Hannah, I feel like it would hit a lot harder emotionally. Um, some of that would be the acting. Some of that is that Wayne is just, he's, he's. I mean, everything he's saying here is 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 interesting and valid, but he's just not. He doesn't. Wayne is a very three dimensional character for me. He feels like sort of often like a stand in for like the positive sides of the patriarchy, um, but not really like a whole lot of a character. So I don't know. I feel like this scene could hit harder emotionally than it ultimately does. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's been too long since the last time we saw Wayne. I mean, his his reaction to Emily coming out was so strong uh, in terms of him, you know, being the one that she could really rely on. Uh, but it, it's been too long. Too much has happened between now and then. And he doesn't come in from a place of of, like, care for her in this episode. He's not doing things like asking her what she needs and stuff like that. So he, he comes off as, as much less, less sympathetic, and therefore this moment kind of loses some of the re resonance that it seems like they were going for. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, back in the Marin kitchen, Hannah is rewatching. Um, Grandma Marin thinks that she needs to be cut off, but Hannah having some confusing feelings about all of this Mona stuff. She can't turn it off. <laughs> yeah, and also the, the part that Mona is talking about here is about her life in junior high. And so she's telling the part of her story 
that we know is Hannah's story too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The, the part that Hannah talked about, you know, I could have ended up just like Mona. Yeah. And th- this is also like her grandma comes in and asks if she thinks she hasn't seen enough of that girl today, which is like another way that grandma Marin is totally treating this like their ex-girlfriends because grandma Marin knows they are. Um, I'm presuming that as they walk away, she's probably asking, doesn't that Spencer Hastings have awfully nice legs? We don't hear that, but I can read between the lines. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure it's there. I'm sure it is there. (laughs) Oh, over at Arya's, she is thinking about how her dad might be a bad guy when her dad stomps in and acts like a bad guy. He just took Meredith home from the ER. He wanted to bring her to his place, but she wasn't into it. Based, he says, on a note left on her clipboard, unburned, remarkably, asking her to go into the shed for some swag bags. He accuses Aria or her friends of writing this note based on what he now knows happened on Meredith's first day. This obviously uh, is a situation where he's trying out the idea that the best defense is a good offense. Uh, Arya protests that they had nothing to do with it, but he ominously says he knows what her friends are capable of. They have a standoff about his secrets versus her secrets, and she eventually orders him out of her room. Yeah, I really do like that moment when she throws it back at him. Um, but then it, it's like it's like she can't go there, whether it's fear or whether it's not wanting to believe that her dad really is a bad guy. Um, she she does back down. Um, but yeah, this is the moment of like dad. This is the episode of dad storming out of their daughter's rooms, feeling unsatisfied. Yeah, and also we talked earlier about Mona whispering to Lucas, and we don't know what exactly it was that she said to him. Uh, We also know that Meredith apparently saw these texts that the liars were sending back and forth about her uh, and said, you know, if they wanted to graduate, they needed to be focusing on American history rather than her history. Uh, And then Byron is like, now that I know the truth about her first day, So everyone's acting like, were the liars sending really offensive texts about Meredith? Like, we'll never know. Right. Yeah, it's just all kind of vague and like, and of course they would be talking about her history. I mean, I don't know. I don't think you can blame them too much. I don't know what, I kind of don't know what Meredith would have expected. I mean, teenage girls, Meredith's like the known mistress to Byron, like... Give, yeah. give him a break here. Give him a break here. Um, so Jason is sitting on his porch when Spencer strolls by. Why is Jason shirtless? We don't know. He says that he um, hears her regarding Mona. Um, as she walks away, she gets a call from Aria telling her about the ace setup with, with the note at Meredith. Was it Mona? Was it her dad? We see that Byron is listening, and so perhaps was Jason, who's still on his porch, but now his wound is being treated by Mona. Um, she is putting a bandage on what appears to be a wound from something that might have been a screwdriver. Yeah, he just has this like unexplained open wound in his side. Uh, and the way that Mona touches Jason's skin here. 
Uh, I begin to wonder if Arya isn't the only one who uses Jason as a proxy for his sisters. <laughs> yeah, very, very, very true. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, it kind of makes me wonder, like, do we ever get confirmation that Jason was the one who got stabbed? I thought it wasn't Jason. No, I think it winds up that it was like Wilden and Melissa. I think that's who it was supposed to be on the train. But uh, Jason, we don't know. He might have also been injured in the explosion of the shed. That's true. That's true. Yeah, this is this is feels like another kind of I mean, it's not quite the same thing, but it feels another like another bit of sort of a lost in translation translation moment where it doesn't really get explained. But it's important in this moment that Jason has this injury. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that Mona is like involved enough to be treating him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So like we know that Jason, we know that Jason has like an open wound and like Mona is connected to him somehow in this episode. We know that Tobey is being on the A team in this episode. We know that Mona has some connection with the janitor in this episode. Um, we see her give that look to Meredith. But we just don't know. Like, this is the era of not knowing who exactly is on the A-team for Mona and who is not. But we do know that Mona and Tobey are part of the same team because we saw him breaking her out of Radley. And we're going to see them uh, together once this all comes to light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, and then we cut to the A-tag, which is, I, I mentioned before, I feel like this is not the strongest ever A-tag. A, sabotages the bike of a random extra, then hides as the extra comes to harm. Yes, although this will be important next episode. Well, okay, so you think it's like a a trial run, presumably? Well, no, isn't isn't this person that A injures ultimately important next episode? Because doesn't it have something to do with... I think it I think it ends up being important because of it has it either has something to do with Mike or the academic decathlon. Oh. Oh, okay. You might be right. I did not remember this part coming back. Um, but I'm sure I'm sure you're probably right. I was just like the this A is messing with the bike of a person we have literally never seen before, and I don't know if we'll ever see them again. So but yeah, okay, that makes sense if Mona is trying to like sabotage her way onto the decathlon team but it's also like it doesn't like it doesn't it's one of those things kind of like so many so many so many different things that come up on the show where it's like it doesn't matter to us now and so it just seems kind of random and weird you Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. yeah true um so this was like it was a great episode because of all the vandermeer and stuff uh but I feel like it's really interesting because Emily is like Emily is uh, not having any like queer romantic anything like there's a mention of Paige, but we don't really like have an active love interest for her in this part of the story. Uh, but we do have just really Vandermeer and standing as like a clear proxy for them based on the way that everyone is treating them, including Hannah is treating them like ex-girlfriends. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, it is, it is true. I think that the Vandermeer and stuff is for sure the strongest part of this episode. I think that the, the Tobey stuff I find 
sort of frustrating knowing how that's going to end up. And same with the Byron stuff. It feels really compelling here because it's like, oh, yeah, Byron's shady, but he's ultimately going to be exonerated pretty quickly. And Meredith is just going to come across as like the crazy lady. So, yeah, it's it's like it's like a lot of dudes seeming shady which is what this show does it's dudes seeming shady and that feeling really satisfying and then them ultimately being exonerated so that a woman can be proven to be more evil mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah kind of a frustrating pattern uh who do you think is the worst dad in this episode is it byron or is it wayne Oh, I think it's Byron for sure. Byron mm-hmm. for sure. Wayne's, mm-hmm. I think Wayne's heart is absolutely in the right place. Um, I think that Byron is has a lot of agenda going on in this episode. Uh, who do you think is the worst boyfriend, Caleb, for putting cow brains in Mona's locker? Uh, or Tobe for being on the A-team, being mad at Spencer for thinking, and giving her the non-consensual back rub? Or Prezra for having his whole apartment be like the fake sun club where the first rule is you don't talk about his fake son and trying to give Arya the gross neck sweat pendant. Um, I think, I actually think Caleb, honestly, because I think Caleb is even more like, Toby is being terrible here, but Toby is like aware of Spencer's emotional state and just being mean about it. I mean, not just being mean about it, but being mean about it. Caleb is just like actively ignoring Hannah's needs in this episode. I feel like, I guess, I mean, I guess technically it's probably Toby, but Caleb was really annoying me in this episode. What about you? Um, yeah, because Tobe, like, it's bad that he's on the A-team, but in terms of his actual actions in this episode, he doesn't really do much that's, like, particularly evil or effective, whereas Caleb, like, the brain in the locker thing is just so nasty and so mean-spirited, and he's doing it to someone who Hannah loves, like, I know that that's one of the reasons that he hates her, but the reason that he doesn't tell Hannah about it is because he knows that Hannah would think less of him and that Hannah would have tried to intervene to stop him. Yeah. Yeah, it's really it's really true. And it and it really reads so much as Caleb seeing Mona back on the scene and feeling so threatened and just mm-hmm. trying to undermine her connection to Hannah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, next week is Mona Mania, which is um that is a that is a fun episode. That is the Quiz Bowl episode. Oh man, Academic that is That is Spencer flying over a table at Mona episode. Ah, oh, I can't wait. Oh, I don't think it's that quite yet. I don't think it's Spencer flying over the table, but I I think it's the first oh. part of that. Okay, well, Spencer is like, she's on the launch pad for flying over a table. Man, obviously, I I must not have really watched these episodes a ton either, if I'm, like, not sure about that guy on the bike. and But, yeah, well, Spencer is, at some point in the near future, going to launch over a table at Mona, and I myself can't wait. 
I think academic decathlons are great moments for TV shows because one of my favorite moments in Friday Night Lights is um, the academic decathlon that Julie participates in right after Matt has left. And she's like emotionally, you know, in emotional turmoil and has to deliver her answer like through tears. Um, I think that that's like such a great moment of Friday Night Lights. And this academic decathlon of uh, Spencer and Mona is also a really great time. So I think shows should include academic decathlons more. You know, uh, this is very similar to like how on PLL there are like a hundred parties where everybody's wearing masks. And if you ever actually go to like a masked ball, it's like the masks are like hot and sweaty and most people are like taking them off pretty quickly after they get there and get their picture taken I was on, at my school, it was called the Academic Challenge Team, uh, and okay. nothing nothing dramatic ever happened. Like, we practiced endlessly after school, oh. and then we competed against other schools. And, I mean, I guess maybe there was some jockeying about who were going to be, like, the people competing and who were going to be the alternates. But, yeah, it was extremely drama-free. Oh, that's, that's, I mean, that's was probably good for you but also is like mildly disappointing from like a storytelling perspective mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh we did um we did at the end of the season we went out for dinner uh like the advisors took us to like a a fancy restaurant that was was in the town where i went to high school and uh one of it was like a five person team there were like three people who would play and then two alternates and uh, one of the alternates who was, you know, we were all in high school, uh, she ordered like a, a glass of wine or something at the restaurant and they served her. And so that was kind of dramatic because the teachers had to be like, oh, no, 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 no. Um, but, but that was really about it. Okay. All right. All right. Well, that's something. That's yeah, something yeah. for sure. So. Well. If you if you were on your high school's academic decathlon team and had something dramatic happen to you, we want to hear about it. Um, we want to hear from you, even if even if that wasn't your experience. Um, you can send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail dot com. You can also um, check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast or send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's it's really, really nice in these troubling, scary times to um, to be doing this podcast. I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful to have this. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, at, at a time when we're having to, like, you know, stray from our normal routines quite a lot, I'm really glad that we have this that we do every week. I, I've been trying to make a list of stuff that I'm looking forward to every day. Uh, and, and on Tuesdays, I don't even have to like, think about it. I can just write down podcasting for every Tuesday. Uh, and I hope that, um, you know, I hope that everybody listens to us. I hope that you're taking care, uh, as much as you can. I I hope you're doing well. Uh, I hope that, you know, this gives you something to look forward to, too. Uh, and if it, you know, if it makes it a little easier for us to all get through this, um, you know, hearing from you guys and, and knowing that, there are other fans out there who are, you know, still interested in listening to us talk endlessly about this show. Uh, that definitely makes me feel a little bit better about the state of humanity, for sure. I agree. I agree. And and I'll just say that, like, the whole social distancing thing, I know that that can be 
I lo- like that can be lonely for folks totally and and especially like not knowing how far that'll go or how long it'll go on for but like you know I think like it sounds goofy but like I think podcasts are a great way to feel feel like you have you know feel like you have friends feel like you have people in the room for you and like we're we're here we're here for you in whatever way our podcast might make you feel a little bit less lonely um we're 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 here and and we're not going anywhere yeah and if you have any thoughts about which of the liars you would most like to be quarantined with uh if it came down to that (laughs) please let us know okay so what's your answer oh i mean okay I think that, like, in terms of somebody who would keep your spirits up, I think it's got to be Hannah. Uh, but if it's going to yeah. be, like, if it's going to be, like, somebody who might be, like, the best as a survivalist in terms of, like, knowing, like, weird stuff uh, about, like, what berries are safe to eat or whatever, I think you got to go with Mona or Spencer. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think Spencer really proved her worth in this episode when she uh, when she picked that lock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- who would you pick? Well, you know, uh, Hannah would be a great time. I feel like Hannah would get anxious quickly, and that would be hard. Um, S- uh, Spencer, though, would probably also get anxious quickly. Yeah. Um, I actually weirdly feel like Emily might be a good person because she would just be probably like not really bothered or aware by what was going on. <laughs> and that energy, that energy might be comforting. Um, that energy might be comforting as as like as an offset to like my own anxiety mm-hmm. um, that 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 might be helpful. Yeah, I, Mona would be a good time. I, I you know who I think Charlotte would be a really good time because Charlotte would. Charlotte would have some great ideas of like things to do to pass the time, but Charlotte would also probably not be very anxious about the whole situation. Uh, yeah. And actually like in my mind, Charlotte and Melissa live together in like a penthouse apartment. (laughs) And I bet that like Melissa is like really prepared. Like I bet she has like stockpiles of like food and supplies and like weapons or something. So yeah, if if you could ride it out with Charlotte and Melissa, I, I think that that would put you in a pretty good position. Yeah, yeah. Charlotte would probably be, like, printing her own toilet paper or something <laughs> and, you know, selling it for $1,000 online or something oh, like that. Oh, man. This is, like, this is, like, a somewhat personal uh, thing to tell a podcast, but um, we bought a bidet because we don't know how long this toilet paper situation is going to go on for it's 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 not it's not a bad idea it is not a bad idea yes well stay safe out there everybody i hope that you have ample toilet paper and and and, uh i hope that i hope that yeah that you're you're hanging in there um yeah we know we know it's a weird time and uh yeah we just we just need to be good to each other yeah yeah stay strong email us if you feel like it and uh yeah we're we're thinking about you all absolutely till next time